Danny Wexelman, Darren Sutton, and Amateur Hour, the show that is devoted to the future of the game with the twist. I always like my beverage with just a twist on it. And this this is a beverage you'll enjoy sipping from in, in, in either small doses or large doses, because what we try to do if you're just hopping on, you know, we took a brief hiatus for busy summertime. If you're hopping on, we walk you through up to the draft in 2023. This is the 22-23 school year. It doesn't mean we exclude high school elite players. It doesn't mean we won't jump over onto the softball side. But we have found this show really landing in a spot of elite college baseball players and unique stories. And it's no different this week, Danny. You did a heck of a job producing this show. Uh, Two athletes who, who prepped in Southern California, two PG alumni, but Quinn Matthews, who barely played in PG events just a little bit, um, actually played for the Saddleback Cowboys, a tiny little travel team with all kinds of great experience um, of guys that have gone on to professional baseball. One other teammate pitches at USC. Quinn's unique, to say the least. As a SoCal guy, I vibed with him, but he pitches for Stanford. Our other guest will tell you where he goes to school, but this is Quinn Matthews, Stanford left-handed pitcher. He passed on signing with the Rays after they selected him in the 19th round. He is very unique. He is everything that you just described him as. And now I think you can add to that. He's going to be a frontline starter. He's going to be a face of Stanford baseball because he's coming back because he has the experience. I believe nine and two with nine saves last season. They obviously made it all the way to Omaha falling short there, but the ability for him to start games to come out of the pen. And now it's expected that he's going to be a potential Friday night starter for this team. And he wanted to come back and he, he wasn't ready yet. And I, and he took the summer off. Like this dude wasn't like, all right, now I need to do more and I need to prove more. And I, I gotta be better. He's like, no, I, I want to balance. I think balance makes me better. So it's intriguing because in the baseball landscape, we often see guys doing more. How much can I fit in? How many more games can I play? How many more innings can I throw before I shut down? And, and he decided to take some time off, which I think is amazing. And I, I think the world of that idea, and I'm very excited to see him this season. And, and on the other side of it raises draft stock and he bet on himself. We love guys who bet on themselves. I, I especially do. I think there's something to be said about that. And he wanted one more year. So he, he is a cool guy. It was a really good interview. I'm excited. He was part of our first one for this next season. Yeah. Quinn's a favorite for sure. I'm biased. And, and, you know, although you twist my arm and we have amazing kids from BC from mid majors and Miami of Ohio, and those guests are equally as good, but I, you know, Quinn's unique. He was me a million years ago in Southern California as an OC guy. And um, in case you're wondering, by the way, who the older and younger host, if you're just listening to the audio and not watching on YouTube or on PGTV, um, in case you're wondering who the older and younger was, uh, Danny's younger, I'm dramatically <laughs> older, but she just gave you wins and losses and saves when describing a pitcher. Wins and losses and saves. She just gave you the stats your dad used to look at when he was <laughs> determining who was a very good pitcher. Onward and upward to our next to our next guest, Jacob Wilson, who, by the way, would probably love old school stats too because his dad, Jack Wilson, was an incredible defender for a million years in the big leagues. You and I both covered him at different stages in his career. He took a lot of hits away from my Brewers and Diamondbacks teams when he played. What's great about Jacob is his ranking coming out of high school was fine. It was fine, but he he probably, you know, could have different than than Quinn, maybe picked a nice mid-major or picked a division one and watched for a while, but he went to Grand Canyon. He went to GCU. He was with GBG, the Garcia Parra baseball group. He chose Grand Canyon. His dad's now on the staff 
And he chose it. He had an incredible first year, an amazing second year. And when your head coach leaves, we love Andy Stankiewicz. In today's world, you leave too, because that my guy's gone. He's staying at GCU. What's cool about him, D, and a, and a great get by you, this guy could be a first-round pick and a high first-round pick. Well, I do have to give you a little bit of credit because you did you did point him out. You did throw his name out. We were trying to figure out who else we can get on this first show. But once we got him confirmed, I knew he would be special because I think we we pull for guys who aren't just the flashy name or the name that everybody knows. I think that's what's great about what we do is that every corner and every every sliver of the country is covered by us. It's not just the SEC. It's not just the Big Ten or whatever it may be. They ACC it's every conference every corner and every guy and man this guy has absolutely made a name for himself what he did with USA baseball and the way that he talks about that experience I think is really cool I feel lucky that we got to ask him about that but also the experience being with his dad what he's learned from his dad you asked about his family I mean what mom has done for them and how she's impacted them especially but I, I just like the idea that he just is hungry. He wants to get better and he's going to stay at Grand Canyon and do that. And that doesn't matter. That is perfectly fine for him to stay. That, that for me doesn't affect anything when it comes to his draft stock for next year. Uh, let's be clear, by the way, about who Grand Canyon is. They, they maybe could have won the Pac-12 tournament. That's yeah. the kind of year that they had last yeah. year. They beat Oregon State. They beat Stanford, Texas, Texas Tech, Arizona, USD. They beat them all last year. So um, he's devoted to them. They're devoted to him. He's going to be a high draft pick. C. Brooks Lee of Cal Poly, very similar journeys. Uh, coach's kid, too, even though his dad played in the big leagues, talking about Jack Wilson. David Ronsley, I know you brought him in for a, for a scout's eyes session. David Ronsley, Perfect Games, Vice President of Player Personnel, and a, a full generation of scouting. Um, what, what's he putting his finger on? Because I think he wants to talk about the evolution of scouting, the evolution of the draft, and maybe a little bit of, of 23 Class D. Is that right? Yeah, there are three main points that he's hitting on. But for me, I think the one that you should be most interested in is the way he talks about how the draft has changed and how draft picks have changed and that we might not always think that there's going to be a guy who's going to be really high. And then all of a sudden PG realizes who he is and what he can become. And sometimes PG is the only, the only place that has that kid in a top 10 round in the draft. And so, so the draft has changed the way that we look at these guys and assess what their level of talent is and where they could go has changed a lot. And David would know better than anybody because he's watched it happen over the past couple of decades and been so entrenched in it. So I really liked his perspective because you know me going back again to maybe he doesn't, portray as the flashiest guy or the biggest name. Uh, I'll, I'll throw him out. Arjun Namala. He's going to dive into Arjun Namala and what he means to the 2023 draft. And I think you're going to be intrigued by what he says. Yeah. High ceiling there. Jay Johnson has a high ceiling at LSU. Hunter Pence and I, that Hunter Pence host a weekly show on perfect game TV. We'll pull some audio slices from that great interview show that, that we put together every week. Jay Johnson was our featured guest. Uh, very recently and so i'll pull some of hunter's great questions to jay johnson and that kind of puts a bow on our podcast let's get it going amateur hour diving into the 22 23 school year away we go i'm excited first of all welcome to the podcast jacob wilson shortstop for grand canyon congratulations on the spring that you had on the summer that you are wrapping up wrapped up as you head into the fall 
And I, I know that there's so many good things that happened this year, but I actually want to start all the way back when you were younger. Take me back to Thousand Oaks with your dad and growing up and starting to fall in love with this game that you have really begun to excel at, I think, and, and really make a name for yourself this past summer. But take me back to a memory or a moment with dad or with your family where you kind of fell in love with the game. Yeah, you know, for sure. I mean, there's not really a specific moment in memory that I had. I think it's just I was kind of born right into the game. You know, my dad started playing, you know, played 12 years in the big league. So right when I was born, I kind of was just the one watching him play baseball. I didn't really get it at the time of how special it was. But, um, you know, just, you know, looking back on it, I think it just there's just so much baseball there. I didn't really realize how cool it was. But now, like, looking back on it, it was just, you know, super awesome experience to be able to go through that as a kid. And, uh, you know, super cool for him to you know, be able to do that for such a long period of time. I know that you've talked about how you chose Grand Canyon and how you got there, but in your own words, give us a little insight into what that process was like. I think, you know, we get a lot of kids who listen to this podcast who want to go to college or maybe they might transfer one day, whatever it may be. There, there's a lot of variety of listeners here, but um, what, what was it about the school and your process that stood out to you? Yeah. You know, when I uh, first started, you know, we were coming out here for tournaments, you know, all the, you know, PG tournaments are right here in Arizona. So, you know, coming out here with, you know, I was playing for GBG at the time. We, uh, there was this, you know, small school out here called Grand Canyon that we noticed. So we just like, oh, it's right down the road. Might as well go check it out. I think I was just starting, you know, the process of looking at colleges. So, you know, we came to, came to campus, uh, we started looking around and then just by chance, you know, Andy Stankwitz was here who also was in the Mariners organization when my dad was there. So they knew each other through that. And, um, you know, started talking to them, you know, really interested, you know, sending them videos, all that stuff. And then they had Greg Wallace, the recruiting coordinator, you know, was reaching out to me. I was sending videos to all that stuff. And then um, you, they offered me, I think, I think halfway through my freshman year. And then I committed, you know, coming to Grand Canyon, you know, the stadium and all the campus here was not nearly what it is now. You know, it's super nice now. But, you know, back then they had a small stadium. Now they have a brand new giant stadium, which is super awesome. And, uh, you know. It was just a great spot for me and my family, you know, Christian-based uh, campus, uh, school. So it was just a great spot at the time. And, uh, you know, I fell in love with it. So, you know, I committed here. Help me understand why that faith weaves into your decision, where you're at, where you're at with um, your journey and a little bit of, you know, that sounds like that mattered. I mean, there, there are, I'm sure you could have gone to a lot of places, but it sounds like to be free in your faith, and to have uh, brothers in baseball that are also brothers in faith matter to you, yes? Yeah, you know, for sure. You know, my parents, I, ever since I was born, you know, we were going to church, you know, you know, put me through a life of Jesus and all that stuff. So, you know, once I saw that GCU was, you know, a Christian school, uh, you know, Christian coaches, you know, Christian players, I think that's just something that I wanted to be around, you know, with a lot of people that have the same, like, similarities that I do. So I think just looking back on that, you know, faith has a huge role in my baseball career as well. So I think just going to a Christian school, you know, which is just perfect for my faith, my family as well. It's interesting. And I say this as a person of faith, though, I say this with a bunch of reverence, but did you feel like March 15th through the 20th this year that literally you were holding the bat and angels were too? And I don't mean <laughs> the team, I mean, literal angels, because dude, no one's supposed to go 18 for 23, unless there is clear divine intervention. What did that time <laughs> feel like? Because that's ridiculous. Oh yeah, you know that was probably that was probably one of the craziest baseball moments I think I've had in my career. You know, it was awesome. I was just it was just really fun. You know, the team was having fun. I think that week we we beat Oregon State. We almost beat them the first game and they walked us off. So we we beat Oregon State and we went on to sweep uh, 
uh, I think it was Utah Valley. So I think we were winning, you know, we're being top 25 teams, you know, obviously I was personally playing well, but so were my teammates. So I think it was just a great week, you know, as a team and, you know, personally as well. It's interesting too, as I, as I look back on that time and I look back in the year, I called one of your guys games on the PAC 12 network where you hammered Arizona in their house. I mean, if I'm to look back at your team and I usually never talk team, I'm always, always focused on the athlete themselves, but mm -hmm. your story, your team story is too good. It's funny how you talked initially about getting to know Grand Canyon. This is your team now. I mean, it's, you're not the coach, but you have enough time served to where this, you're one of the starting quarterbacks. You're the Tom Brady. You're the leader of this team. And I look back on last year, Oregon state, Stanford, Texas tech, Arizona, USD, seven wins in Q1. It was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It's hard to explain to outsiders what you guys did last year, but it's phenomenal as a team what you guys did. Yes, you know, for sure. I think uh, the main part of that process is that, you know, we had returners coming back. You know, we had freshmen coming in, Danny Avidia, you know, who was, you know, a key impact for us this year. But I think the main thing was that on our team, no one was really scared of anybody. You know, we were beating top 25 teams for the first time in our school history. We got into the top 25 for the first time in school history. Like, everything was just going well. We had, like, you know, everything was positive vibes like no one was really scared you know go out there and uh, play against these big, like big time teams so I think that was just kind of the main key for us this year is that everybody was just really having fun like no one really cared what like you know critics were saying about Grand Canyon you know being like a small school like we were just going out there and it was just playing baseball so just be able to go out there and do what we did this past year it was it was really awesome to be a part of but uh you know we're going to try and you know repeat that this year so Darren sent me this article, uh, which was really nice. He helped me do my homework this week. And it was a USA about, you know, USA baseball about your journey and, you know, what you did this year, your numbers, you've got video game numbers, you know that, but help us really understand how you went from choosing Grand Canyon, you know, it's a, a smaller school, you maybe are unsure of what you're getting yourself into completely here to turning yourself into uh, a top five prospect, top 10 prospect in next year's draft. So what, what's the development been like for you? Like, how have you turned it on to another level um, so that, you know, now we know exactly who you are? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot goes into that, you know, a lot of hard work, you know, hitting the cages, you know, learning. Tell us, from, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah, from all the, all the, uh, you know, coaches that I've had, you know, instinct, which is a huge part of that, you know, it's really hard for, you know, a kid who just plays high school baseball, then transition into a college, you know, season. So it was really hard, you know, for, I think, most freshmen, but, you know, instinct, which helped me, you know, Elijah Burries, you know, had a bunch of freshmen play that freshman year. So he was really good with helping us out along with Coach Wallace. But uh, another part, you know, just for me is, you know, my dad, he, uh, he kind of guides me throughout, you know, all the baseball aspects because he's been there, you know, he's done that, you know, he struggled, he's succeeded, all that stuff. So he kind of just reminds me that this game's hard, you know, just got to keep, you know, working, all that stuff. He helps me with my swing. So, um, you know, there's just a lot of, I would say, advisors that, you know, help me out through there with coaches and, you know, my dad as well. First of all, we love Andy Stankowitz, like love, love, love. I feel like every time I've seen that man, I just give him a hug and he just seems to make everything better. He always has the right thing to say or, or just calms you in the moment. And Darren and I hear a lot, a lot more now about 
these prospects and amateur players really understanding that you're going to have hard days and you're going to have tough times. And it's, it's a game of failure. And, and I think we see that more than ever now, but when you have a bad moment or a hard moment, or you fail, what do you do? What's your recipe to get yourself back in the game? Or maybe it's in the classroom, wherever it may be, like, what's your recipe to being able to come back and overcome the adversity? Yeah, for sure. You know, everybody has bad days in baseball, like even the best in the world, you know, they don't go out there and you perform every day. So I think what kind of works best for me is you kind of just got to, you just got to step out for a second, you know, you got to take a break, then kind of flush all the stuff that just happened. And, you know, there's still a lot of game left, obviously. So you just got to, you know, go back out there, you know, it's all the kind of a mindset. So you just got to, you know, know that you are, you know, you're fine. You know, you just, even though it was a bad day, you know, you can still come back, you know, have a good day and help your team win in any sort of way you can. Real quick, Darren, is there something specifically, though, tailored for you, tailor-made, that, mm-hmm. that you go back to time and time again? Uh, I don't think there's anything, you know, tailor-made. I think I just kind of, you know, obviously, like, if something, maybe an error happens, you kind of just go in the dugout. You know, I usually step outside, you know, just kind of get out of that game situation for a sec because we have a little, uh, like, hallway outside our dugout. So I kind of just step out there, you know, take a breather for a second, you know, kind of get out of the spotlight and then go back into the dugout, you know, refocus, you know, flush all the stuff that's happening, you know, you're, maybe your bat's coming up soon. So, you know, it's just like maybe it's early in the game or end of the game, like you can still do like help your team win in any sort of way. So I think it's kind of just that kind of stepping away for a second and coming back into the game. Jacob, my, my dad played 23 years in the big leagues and passed the game yeah. down um, after his hall of fame career to me, like you're, 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 your dad did your dad, Jack, but what happens now, and I've lost my dad recently, but what, what happens now is every time, and even when my dad was living, every time I ran into anyone, no one asked about Don, they asked about Patty because they understand in a baseball home, it's the strong woman that keeps it together. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I'm not going to ask you about Jack. I have one later. I want to ask you about, I'll ask you about Julie, because I'm going to, I'm going to guess that you're going to tell me that Julie is the one mom that keeps this family together. You have two sisters, high school age, they've moved here for this experience. So tell me a little bit about mom, some of her characteristics, some of the things that you're a man now that you look at your mom, uh, you know, and, and what she provided in your life. Tell me some of her characteristics. I'm going to guess they're pretty strong ones. Yeah, they're very strong ones, you know, just like, you know, loving, caring person for her family. She's also very protective because, you know, when, like, you know, like your dad played. So you realize that when, you know, the dad travels all the time, it's usually the mom and the kids. So, you know, having her, you know, step into that role and travel, you know, me and my sisters were young, like we weren't really like, you know, old enough to be able to know like what we're like kind of doing. So she had to kind of watch over all three of us. And then she was also kind of by herself. So like just to be able to take that role on, you know, um, have her, you know, lead us and go watch my dad play and all that stuff. You know, it's just something I'll forever be grateful for. You know, that's, I, I could imagine that's got to be a really hard job. So. Um, I think she's just loving, caring, you know, protective, you know, very strong, uh, like you said. Uh, and, and kudos to her and uh, not knowing if you're in a serious relationship now, but having mm-hmm. a mom like that keeps the standards here for, for the relationships you choose in your life. So uh, yes. kudos to mom, because that, that's a very, very good thing. The only thing I do want to ask you about dad, I, gosh, I got to call a million of his games as a visiting announcer for years. Yeah. I, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about his soccer. Was this dude really that good at soccer? And if so, is he relentless in his description? Because like, if I'm going to understand what I dove in on, like he was playing in international games and he was, you know, one of the best players in the country, this, this great soccer player was, he went back to the alumni game and scored three goals a couple of years, years back. Like, 
was this dude that good at soccer? Yeah, he, he he was pretty impressive, you know, looking back on it. But um, you know, that was his when I he was what he tells me is that that was his uh you know, his kind of love for a sport, like his main sport was soccer, you know, baseball was secondary, according to what he told me when he was growing up, he just loved like the game of soccer. Even then, like you said, he goes back and plays the alumni game at our high school. And like, you know, I was go, I would always go every year to go watch him play. I'm like, dude, you're like, you're like 40 years old. Like, how are you scoring goals right now? Like he just, he just loved the game of soccer. But, uh, like what he tells me, apparently he was, he was pretty good. Obviously it wasn't there, but, uh, you know, like what his, his parents say that he, he was pretty, he was pretty, uh, pretty good. What's so if that was his first love, baseball is second. Baseball became his first, paid the bills. Um, what's your second love? Is it a sport? Is it biking? Mm-hmm. Is it what's your second love? If I jerk baseball out of your life, you're not going to be happy. But what what's your second love beyond baseball? Uh, you know, I play. I know I play a lot of sports. When I grew up, I was playing soccer, football, uh, playing all the sports. You know, I play a little bit of golf now during the off season. So I think it's just my second love out of baseball is kind of just playing all the sports, like just going out there and just being out, outside, you know, playing like any sort of game. I just like being competitive. So if it wasn't for baseball, you know, I played, you know, two on two golf, you can go play two on two soccer, you know, whatever it is. So I think it's just pretty much being outdoors, you know, being competitive in any sport, like any sport of accident, uh, activity. I have two more, two more quick ones. Yeah. Have you watched highlights of your dad? Like, do you go back and watch? Yeah, I do all the time. I look it up on YouTube, you know, Right now, he's kind of you're in school, so you're kind of bored sometimes. So I kind of look up on YouTube, you know, Jack Wilson, you know, highlights, whatever. And I just go back and I kind of watch. And then uh, it's just pretty cool to be able to look up your dad on YouTube and, uh, yeah, watch him play the game that you fell in love with as well. Oh, I know Darren. Darren's shaking his head. He definitely understands that for sure. Mm-hmm. Is there a specific one that stands out that you go back to time and time again that you're like, dang, dad, okay? Yeah, and, you know, he, yeah. Uh, I think he has a certain, um, I think he has a disc of all his plays that he had when he, when he was, uh, you know, playing. So sometimes, you know, I put it in, put it in the Xbox, you know, kind of watch it, Blu-ray, whatever, kind of watch the entire video. I just, it's a lot of defense. I like watching his defense, you know, it's something that I want to try and um, kind of, you know, uh, learn from it and kind of learn how he, how he played defense, you know, and then I can also, t- uh, you know, learn how to do that as well. Last we one is dumb? just, Go ahead, I'm sorry, Danny. Real quick, can we get yeah. that dumped into some sort of an MP4? Do we have to a have disc. it on a disc? <laughs> yeah. I, I, like, can we, can we maybe make sure we don't lose that disc forever? Sorry, Danny, I interrupted. I was gonna ask, but I didn't want to be like, why do you have things on discs anymore, Darren? Great job by yeah. you. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm old. I'm old, Danny. You remind me of that all the time. So I like, <laughs> let's let's get Dad's dig me. It says dig me disc is what it is. Let's get it yep. into an MP4. Okay. Sorry, Danny. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah. well maybe we'll do that for you amateur hour we'll, we'll get that done for you i just want to know the best part of your summer what was the best part i i feel like it had to have been a dream for you so i'd love to hear yeah you know as as a kid growing up i think everybody's goal is kind of you know play usa baseball you know i i was playing in high school you know i had max muncie rock ratio all on the same high school team so i got to see them you know play usa baseball and i kind of wanted that to be one of my goals as well so to, to be able to, you know, go over there, you know, even just try out, I was super excited just to get that invite and then to end up making the team and then go to Europe and play with those guys, you know, under those coaches. It was probably just one of the coolest, you know, moments of my baseball career. It was, it was so fun. It was awesome. You've heard of Brooks Lee, right? Yes, I have. You get it, right? You get it. I mean, you get like mid-major guy, self-made guy, dad, a coach, paid attention to dad, like, you're you and he's Brooks, but you've got to be inspired by watching what he did at Cal Poly. Yes. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially since he was a shortstop and I'm a college shortstop as well. You know, I think it's kind of very similar. You know, obviously, dad was the coach, not a very big time school. But to be like, you know, I you know, watch him, you know, watch him do his thing. You know, it was super encouraging to me that someone from a non like, you know, non like big time school can go out there and, you know, still, you know, play the game and have fun and be successful. So it was just super cool to, you know, watch him do his thing. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with being a late bloomer as someone who never bloomed. I just wanted to point out there's I had all the genes, I had all the coaching, I had all the instructions. So if you're called a late bloomer or a you know a growing draft prospect like Brooks Lee, that's a huge compliment to congratulations. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Jacob, thank you so much. This was fantastic. So excited to watch your season this year. But thank you for giving us a few minutes before everything gets started. I really appreciate it. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. So brief pause to look through the scouts' eyes. David Ronsley scouted you. He scouted your dad. That's how long he's been scouting. So David Ronsley, Perfect Games Vice President of Player Personnel, and he's not shy with his words. You just wind him up and let him go. And his thoughts are incredibly impactful and valid. I'll put it this way real quickly in my intro to him for, gosh, a decade now. David has been my most consistent color analyst on national TV for the All-American Classic to be seen on ESPNU, the MLB Network, CBS Sports Network, and Fox Sports Regionals. David's been there every step of the way. He's outstanding. And his thoughts this week, and Danny pulled him into the studio, are to talk about the evolution of the draft, the, the way things were looked at when he started scouting over the last five years, and even currently, uh, a peek at a player that's somewhat unique in the 2023 class, and, and, and taking a look back on how we see players as compared to how we used to see them. David, let's look through your scout's eyes. With the draft changing, I... This next draft is going to be, I think, my 34th draft. So draft has been through a lot. And I don't know whether there's been a phase more than the last couple of years where it's really changed. And by change, I mean in how scouts, how teams are evaluating prospects. Um, first of all, if you're a high school prospect watching this right now, your chances of being drafted and going straight from high school ball to pro ball are smaller than ever. Only 28 of the top 100 players this year were high school drafts. Only 43 of the top 200 were direct, drafted directly out of high school. Those are small numbers, and they're probably going to go down. Major League Baseball has tried to get the draft to be more of a college-centric for a long time, basically so college can develop the players instead of the team spending the money. It's a simple financial thing. But the bottom line is there are fewer high school players picked. And almost as importantly for you high school prospects out there and the people around you, so is the profile of those type of prospects. If you're a hitter, if you're a position player, I should say, used to be best athlete, middle of the field guys, not so much anymore. To be drafted and signed out of high school now, you've got to have a present hit tool. You've got, you know, you have your great athletes, your Elijah Greens and stuff, but most of all, most of the times, it's going to be that guy with the present hit tool, like a Sal Stewart who went in the first round this year. You know, Tamar Johnson was the best hitter in the class. He didn't fit a lot of profiles position-wise, body type, but he fit the number one profile he could hit. Um, with pitchers, it used to be you throw hard, you're going to get drafted. You have a 6'5", 190-pound projectable body, and you threw hard, you're definitely going to get drafted. Nowadays, completely different everybody throws hard. We had what, 36 pitchers at the PG national throw 95 or above used to be, if you were not 95 or above in high school, that's a draftable player. Now you don't even get on the all American team. If you're throwing 95, you know, or you're not guaranteed a spot. 
but the, the point being throwing 95 is great, but you have to be able to spin it. That's what scouts and teams are looking for now is the ability to spin the ball. And by spin, I mean spin rates, vertical and horizontal induced movement, um, those things that you see in all your measurements. And I look at our top 10 right now. We've got four pitchers in our top 10, and two of them really don't fit that pro profile. That's not saying they're not going to get drafted or improved. Uh, Travis Sikora, 6'6", throws 100 miles an hour, and that makes him special right there. But he's still developing the spin on the, on the slider. It's not even an average pitch right now. So scouts are going to be looking at that. Charlie Soto, one of my favorites. Absolutely love him. He's still 16 years old. Great story. I know you've talked to him, Danny. But his third best pitch now is his breaking ball. And I've talked to his people about that. Fastball to 98, outstanding changeup, still developing the breaking ball. So the, the, the scouts and the teams are going to be really hard on them for the lack of spin. And a quick third category that's changing, catchers. I don't even know how to evaluate catchers anymore. You know, we're talking about framing and, and hitting, and then there's going to be computerized strike zone. I don't even know how to evaluate hitter catchers anymore. We've got some great ones in this class. Um, Blake Mitchell, Rafi Velasquez. I don't know how teams are really evaluating catchers. And the rules might change before, you know, the next time I talk about it. Another thing of change I like thinking about, especially this time of year after we've gone through a whole cycle, is the change of players. Um, I mentioned Jackson Holiday a little bit ago. Jackson Holiday changed so much as a player between August of coming out of his junior year and in the draft. In a year, he completely changed his body, changed his strength, everything like that. There's going to be players in this class who do the same thing, who change their bodies, make adjustments, and change themselves athletically. And, and Danny, you and Darren do such a great job of, of getting the background stories on these guys. And it was fun even at the All-American game to see a couple pitchers in Hunter Dietz and Colton Hartman who completely changed their bodies in the last year through hard work. You know, Hartman added 25 pounds, you know, gained seven, eight miles an hour on his fastball. He's pitching in, at Chase Field. You know, Hunter Dietz did the opposite. He got in shape, lost 25 pounds, made himself into an athlete and was an All-American. So, so I wanted to, all those guys out there even if you're not a prospect, you have so much control over your talent by your hard work. You might think you're working hard. You can always work harder. You can change. You can improve. And it's up to you in a lot of those cases. And we see it every year with the high-profile guys, the Colton Hartmans, the Jackson Holidays. We can see it at every level. And finally, one last thing I'd like to touch on, because this is one of the fun things that when you go through draft lists every year, because you know, yeah, we didn't have, have Jackson Holiday in the top uh, maybe 30, 40 at this time last year, and he jumped up and, and did it did through hard work. But sometimes we have players that we have ranked really high, but all the other websites who get their information from the teams really don't have ranked at all. A couple of years ago, we had Jordan Walker. I think we had him number one or number two um, going in, and he was a class of 2020. And we love Jordan Walker. We saw him so much and Georgia native. And we were convinced that he was one of the best players in the class. And until that spring, nobody else was on board with that. Well, Jordan Walker is now like, what, top five prospect in all of baseball, playing outfield now in double A and dominating double A in the Cardinals system. And we feel really good about being ahead of the, the scouting world on that one. 
We have another guy in this class that we think we're ahead of the scouting world on. Um, Arjun Namala is number third in our rankings. When we just redid these rankings last week, all of us basically said, run him up as high as you can get him. And that was number three after Maxwell Clark at number one and Walker Jenkins at number two. But Namala is number three. You can go to other websites. He's not on top 50s. I don't know whether he's on a top 100 on some lists. And we just can't understand this. This, this is such a talented young man. He's still 16 years old. I compare him to Alfonso Soriano because he has those unique wrists. He's 6'1", 170, and just extreme bad speed, great athlete, middle field, infielder. But he's a guy, Danny, that I, I'm, we're really going to follow over the next year, see how it ha works out for next year's draft, because we think Namala is going to be a first-rounder, maybe a top half of the first-rounder, especially as he gets stronger being such a young kid. Quinn Matthews, I think the thing that I find not most intriguing about you, because there's many things that are intriguing about you, but very intriguing is uh, for majority of your time in college, you haven't been a guy that crashes with baseball players. You don't room with baseball players. You room with students that study other things that broaden your mind and broaden your perspective. Is that the plan again this year? And whether it is or not, I'd love to know how that's helped you become deeper, not just as a baseball player, but as an overall human being. No offense to us baseball players, but it's got to be nice to escape back at where you live. Yeah, 100%. No, so I'm still rooming with the same guys I have the past three years, or two years technically, because that weird COVID year. Um, so non-baseball players, they're awesome. They all, all study computer science, which is a realm that I have not tried to get into. It's way over my head. I took my couple of computer science classes at Stanford because they forced me into it just so I could speak the language of them a little bit and understand what they're doing. But I, I saw it wasn't for me basically from the beginning. So, it, I mean, again, for me, it was kind of an escape. So I'm able to kind of compartmentalize the baseball aspect of life, but also like the real world, you know, normal human being, normal student at Stanford. I'm not, I'm not just a baseball player. I'm also a student, which is a weird thought nowadays, but for me, it's like that compartmentalized uh, aspect of life for me where I've learned to, you know, you take baseball on the baseball field, but then once you're done with that, you kind of go home, do something different, enjoy a different aspect of life and my roommates. And that sort of living situation has allowed me to do that better than I think I would have been able to with baseball players for roommates. Yeah, because you get it. I mean, um, you, we all know it. It'd be like if, you know, if I were a younger single guy still in this broadcasting world and I had roomed with broadcasters, that be all. If you had a great day, you'd be digging me with your roommates. Have your dig me moments. You have a great day. You walk in the room. That's great. You had a great day, but they got other stuff going on. You have a bad day. You want to vent about a coach. You want to vent about a teammate. Well, that you kind of can move on from that too. You get how it's it's for me being a 53 year old former baseball player. Like to me, it's so refreshing that you do that. So um, I, I think it's cool. I think it's really really cool. And this summer, you didn't submerge yourself in baseball as well you know you had a great season last year but you didn't bury yourself in baseball how did that treat you no I mean it's always a good time nowadays when you get to spend time with family especially you know with my sister and I being on very opposite sort of schedules I mean I'm gone from basically September through July at school and playing baseball she's gone from halfway through August through May at law school so we don't really get to spend all that much quality time and then when you add summer ball on top of that it was like, okay, now I'm adding that August and September a little bit aspect to it. So I literally didn't get to see her for the vast majority of our early college careers because she also played soccer in her undergrad days. So she was gone in basically July when I was halfway through a summer ball season. So I think for me, it was just that time that I kind of got to spend again with them where it was, you know, stress-free, 
didn't really have any baseball on my mind, didn't have any athletics on my mind. She didn't either. So, I mean, it was kind of the first time in a long time where we both kind of got to enjoy the real world outside of college athletics, respectively. So, I mean, I was grateful for the whole summer and, you know, my parents allowing it to be as relaxed as it was and, you know, not pushing myself to get a job. My sister actually did. So shout out to her for being a grinder, but they kind of let me <laughs> chill, which was, I mean, for me, a great time. And I enjoyed all that, like, leisure time that they allowed me to have. I feel like by rooming with people who are not just baseball players and by taking some time for yourself this summer, you have some kind of grasp of the bigger picture. And that as in your words, you said, I'm not just a baseball player, which I really love to hear, I think is so important to the development of of guys who do go on to play professional baseball, which I think you will do when the time is right for you. But what do you, or what have you learned about yourself through some of these decisions that you've made? Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately it's just going to make me a better competitor. I mean, I've kind of sat back and like watched everything unfold where, you know, a lot of my friends are going pro. A lot of my teammates are going pro. I'm seeing all these guys, you know, getting these big signing bonuses, going to their respective clubs. And I'm like, all right, I've decided, you know, the year wasn't right for me this year. The situation, the circumstances wasn't right. Um, but I think it's almost going to add a little bit of fuel to the fire this next year. I feel like I've got something to prove. It's sort of like, you know, being a little undervalued, a little undersold, whatever it might be for me. That's just like, not that I needed a competitive edge, but even in like a little more of one where it's like, all right, like I've got something to prove to, you know, the 30 ball clubs in the MLB. So it's, for me, it's just fuel to the fire, but I also got like the ability to step back and see it from a different lens where it's not just like, oh, I wasn't good enough or I was too good or whatever it might be. It's kind of like, okay, like this is what happened. Like, let's look at this from a much more rational point of view and kind of dissect it from there. So, I mean, that's kind of what I've taken away from it. Yeah, a really dynamic, I think you're a really dynamic baseball player. We saw that last year, nine and two, but then also nine saves. Your team earns a bid to Omaha. I mean, the, the experience that you've gained as well. And your team, I think, is is stacked with a lot of really cool guys on it that that will be coming back. And then whatever additions you make as well, the, the team will make. But we've seen guys who forego signing with the club and come back, whether it's they have something to prove They've got, Darren loves the phrase, a chip on their shoulder, whatever it may be. But so this next year, I know that you've got to be excited about the possibilities of, of where you could land in that rotation, what spot you could get. But what is it that you personally want to get out of this year? Obviously, you guys want to win Omaha. We know that that's standard always. But for you, what else do you want to get out of it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the end goal is a team, and it always is like a team effort, and the team comes first is, you know, winning a national title. I mean, unfortunately for me, it's kind of a sour taste in the mouth because, I mean, I feel like I let that team down in the Auburn game. You know, they gave me the ball, I believe, with a lead. I actually don't remember. I've tried to kind of flush it out. But I believe with the lead um, and was, in, one, or was unable to make pitches that day. I mean, shout out to Auburn. They beat me. So that's kind of where my season ended. I mean, unfortunately, it was a, it was a good year. But to leave it on a note like that for me, that's kind of all I've had in my mouth in terms of taste from the college baseball season for myself. Um, but personally, I don't, I don't really think I have any expectations for me. It's just go out there and pitch. I mean, hopefully, I mean, I'm in the starting rotation. That's obviously the goal. I think for every collegiate pitcher, unless you're not, you're throwing 102 miles an hour and looking to close a game out in the ninth inning, which unfortunately I just don't do. So, I mean, hopefully I just have the ability to go out there and give my team 15 quality starts and, kind of go from there and I mean like I said obviously the, the end goal is national title because at this point you know we've won the pack this year which is a, like an outstanding uh feature to do and 
we've won the regional, we've won supers now twice, we've been to Omaha twice, we're one and four. So, I mean, for me personally, it's basically national title at best this year. It's incredible too, to, as you said, clear your head. And I love the fact that you don't dwell or not even know the specifics about your World Series outing against Auburn. Um, I think that's, that couldn't be more healthy when you think about it. And even if you were still digging yourself and you were amazing that day, I think it's probably good to, to move from it either way. Pitch-wise, um, physically, what has changed about you? I, I know you talked a lot about the evolution of both your breaking balls last year, to have something more firm left on left for you with, with more of a true slider. Um, you know, can we foresee, do you foresee any evolutions uh, pitch-wise for you? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously starting, I'll hope to incorporate the curveball a lot more. I do think it's going to end up being a, at least an average pitch at worst. Um, but I think there's some, like, I mean, metrically, we kind of broke it down with our analytics guy. I sat down with him for about an hour and a half this offseason just to see where, you know, everything lined up. I mean, in terms of, like, the fastball, the changeup, the slider and the curveball, I think the biggest point of emphasis will obviously be command for myself. But then I think the curveball probably be the biggest pitch that, you know, when you're looking to go three times through an order, seven innings deep every time you pitch, you know, having a wrinkle in there like a curveball that you can flip in there for strikes and even get swing and miss on is probably the next like evolution in terms of my arsenal. It's very, it's very interesting. I was watching. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't have to prepare as much for this because you and I have had a great interview already and I've called a, several of your games anyway in college. Um, but I, <laughs> I found a video you did and it was very kind of fun to see the younger Quinn uh, when you were at Aliso Niguel High School, you've probably seen it out there. It was done with the regional Fox. There was a young lady that did the interview. But I loved you talking about your your passion at that age for EDM music. And you made it clear, like, you said, the less words, the better for me. That's exactly where I live right now. Do you still live there with that music? Yeah, I'm definitely still heavy into EDM. It's my top genre every it. year on Spotify. Um, I don't know about the less words, the better anymore. I kind of have mellowed that out a little bit. I do enjoy the words now, but basically before every time we go out and play, it's normally just blasting EDM as I warm up. So, Do you remember that interview? I do, actually, because all three of my teammates, myself, Ethan Hoopengardner and Evan Fitter, we all got interviewed. Ethan Hoopengardner's is one of the funniest interviews of all time, if you can find that one. Um, He's at SC, yeah. right? Correct. He's hoping to have a better year this year. But that interview he gave in high school was, we are like, what are you doing? Because the kid's a clown, and he still is to this day. So it was very fitting, but a little little outrageous. Hey, real, real quickly, on that Saddleback, Saddleback Cowboys team, you were fortunate to be with a bunch of uh, guys, a bunch of future pros. I mean, he hopes mm -hmm. to. You plan on it. Um, Evan's the one that kind of jumped out of the nest early. What was it, fifth round with the Marlins a couple years back? What have you learned in shooting the breeze with him about what professional baseball is like for him, for an OC guy who came from the mm -hmm. Cowboys program? Like, what, what have you learned about it from him? Anything? Yeah, I mean, fortunately, all of us were surrounded at a very young age with guys that were going out of high school, playing in the minor leagues and professional baseball. So we all had that opportunity, which is, you know, very rare, I would say, where you kind of get immersed with, you know, everyone that's going and playing at college or professional level. But, I mean, obviously him being my best friend, you kind of get a little more of a deep dive into it. It's a grind, and he'll tell you that from the beginning. I think, you know, the fact that there's guys out of that class right now, the high school class that he was in, you got, like, Corbin Carroll, Alex Thomas, Bobby Witt, all of those guys have already made the league. So, like, you have those top superstars, the young superstars of the MLB, which is awesome to see. But you got those guys who are in the league, and then you realize, you know, that's, like, the very tip of the iceberg. And then you have the rest of the guys that are still grinding, still going through it, you know on the bus rides, playing the minor league schedule. 
So, I mean, you kind of just see from him that, you know, it's not great. You know, you don't have like most of the time, like adequate weight rooms on the road. You don't have, you know, the greatest like meal plans, like all of that stuff, which I think people like don't see that because all you see is the glitz and the glams of the big leagues and that lifestyle that comes along with any sort of professional sport, at least out of like the big five sports. Um, so I think for me, it's just that sort of mental roller coaster you kind of go on as a minor leaguer and that you could be there theoretically for four, five, six. I mean, I saw a guy the other day, I think a pitcher who made his first debut after 500 minor league games. So, I mean, that's also possible if you're willing to wait that long at 32 years of age. So, I mean, it's definitely a roller coaster of emotions. And I think having a good support system like he has and all of us have, fortunately, is probably why he's still able to do it. Are you watching a lot of Major League Baseball? Yeah, I watch a ton. I actually, I mean, I like watching the pitching. So, I mean, I love the low scoring affairs. I don't really love the home run because that's all people hit nowadays. So it's kind of strikeout or bomb, which, you know, makes it a little tough unless it's, you know, Aaron Judge who's hitting 300 with 55 of them or whatever he's doing. But, I mean, yeah, I watch a ton of baseball. I love the pitching aspect, breaking down, you know, what guys are having success with, what's getting hit, what's not getting hit, you know, how to pitch guys. For me, it's just that mental side of the game. You can always kind of learn off of the best that are doing it currently, so. You mentioned the, that you worked with your analytics guy on your team. So mm -hmm. when you when you watch the guys in the pros, you know they they have so much information at their fingertips. You hear some guys they want it all and, and they they want it. Like I think Max Fried has I've heard one of the most extensive scouting reports and preparations for games. And you have other guys who aren't digging that deep in. They want to feel it a bit more. So when you when you watch the game today, I guess. What kind of game do you hope to go into when you are drafted and, and you do make your debut? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's always been a feel thing. I think change of pitcher it kind of comes along with the game, which can make it a little more challenging just because the change up is such a feel pitch. I mean, I don't think I've ever had a game where I'm like, OK, I know exactly what my change is going to do today. Sometimes it sinks, sometimes it runs, sometimes it switches up halfway through. So I think you can do all the preparation in your bullpens and your catch play do all that but then you get onto the mound where you can't really like replicate that sort of adrenaline rush that sort of feeling so for me it's you know obviously do all the preparation you can especially in terms of like the scouting and looking at swings and tendencies and like learning that aspect of almost like a chess match going into it but then you kind of go out there and there's there still is like that field of like the art of pitching I'd say where you know nothing's ever the same you can't replicate you can't duplicate you kind of just have to go with what's thrown at you how guys are approaching you and kind of try to take it from there. I love that. Could you have, I, play, could, yeah, could you have played college? Could you have played college soccer? How good were you? Did baseball steal your heart? I mean, I argue I could have. I mean, <laughs> it was, it's hard to say with soccer just because the top tier guys in high school go and play like the academy stuff. So I wasn't like theoretically playing against the best, but I definitely think I could have played college soccer, especially at the Division One level. But who knows? Were you, were you what position? A mid, a striker? What'd you do? I, I played center back in high school, so. I mean, my junior year, like I said, we won a CIF title in soccer. I think I was like all Orange County or all state or something like that in soccer. So I definitely think I could have played at least at like the lower division one level at worst. Nice. nice. Sorry, Danny. No, it's fine. I was just going to say, I mean, the only other question I have is I have to ask about your necklace because we're mm -hmm. seeing this trend. I, I'm seeing puka shells at the high school level. I'm seeing the pearl necklace, Jock Peterson, Bryce Harper. Is that where our inspiration comes from? No, so I actually started my Cape summer. So after my sophomore year of college, my host family who I had an awesome experience with the, the daughter made me a necklace one day, which actually broke, which is unfortunate, but it was like beaded with some like pearls at the end. And I was like, okay, I kind of like that. And then I saw the singer Harry Styles wearing an all pearl necklace. I was like, all right, that's even cooler. 
So I had a pearl necklace and then two of these like arts and crafts necklaces on that my host daughter made me for the entire summer. My team thought it was like ludicrous. They're like, oh, typical SoCal guy wearing the pearls and the necklaces and the colorful stuff. Yeah, typical. Um, but like I said, those kind of broke and I actually have broken two strands of pearls at this point. So it's my third one, but I kind of like it. It's a little different. So, yeah. I'm obsessed. I love it. Like never change. I love that so much. I mean, I try not to. I'm stubborn in that way. So Yeah. That's see, great. See Danny, it's it's uh, I know you love your Midwest charm and there's a lot to love, but there's nothing like Southern California. Baby, know. As someone who grew up there embracing Depeche Mode and Oingo Boingo and all the oddness of being an 80s Orange County kid, we're just a little different, Danny. We're just a little different. <laughs> I'm, a little different I'm, right. Yeah, I support it. It's awesome. Quinn, so grateful for your time, man. We're, I know we're excited to watch your season, but uh, really cool to get to know you a little bit more. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I appreciate you guys for having me on today. Hopefully the season ends in the national title and we're doing a different interview at the end of next year. So To call LSU head coach Jay Johnson a friend of perfect game is an understatement because even when he was building his teams at Nevada, then he moved to Arizona. Now he's at LSU. He didn't always send his recruiting coordinators. As a matter of fact, he almost always attended PG National. He almost always was out front. Well, now that he's got the quote-unquote cool cush job with a much bigger budget, CNIL, I'm guessing, for his current roster, Jay Johnson still gets on the plane. And it may even be commercial to come to perfect game events. And I think it's great what he is doing, his passion, his energy. Now put him and Hunter Pence that hundred pence in the same room and let them talk college baseball. It's perfect game, college baseball. Seen each week, a brand new edition on perfect game TV. Here's those two crazed baseball men talking about the sport. Well, speaking of Josh Jordan and, and recruiting, I'm not sure how much he had to do with this portal, but you got the number one portal uh, transfer class, Tommy tanks coming your way. Uh, I, I know that all of my, my brother and all my nibblings, they are, they love Tommy tanks and they're, they're pumped that he's coming to LSU. Thatcher heard, can you talk a little bit about this transfer portal and how you got such great talent in some of these kids? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was a pretty simple process, Hunter, and really no different than how we look at recruiting every year. And, you know, somewhere along the way last year in the middle of the year, we kind of had this vision of what we wanted our next couple years team to look like. And that was the best players from this past year's team in 2022, where we won 40 games, you know, the Dylan Cruz, Trey Morgan, Jordan Thompson. I mean, there's some really good, Josh Pearson, there's some really good foundational pieces and identifying kind of who we wanted to move forward with. And then we had a really good freshman class. I think we had six guys uh, get through the draft that, that played in the All-American game last year, which we're excited about those guys. And then it was kind of look at those two groups and then what did we need to kind of complete the puzzle? And it was pretty simple. We needed starting pitching. I think we won like seven SEC games last year where we made a pitching change before the end of the third inning. I mean, it was it was crazy. We were like Tampa Bay Rays, you know, opener staffing it like every game. So we needed to do that. So adding Thatcher Hurd, Paul Skeens from Air Force, and then Christian Little from Vanderbilt, we felt like we have three guys that have the possibility of becoming starting type pitchers and getting deeper into the game so you can shrink what the bullpen has to do. And then we lost two of the best hitters in college baseball. I mean, Jacob Berry was the, the first college hitter taken in the draft or first college player taken in the draft. And then Kate Doty was a second rounder as well. So then, you know, really adding Tommy White, I mean, I, I mean, you can't find a better guy to replace you know, that type of production. And then Ben Napolt from Virginia Commonwealth is a really good, solid player. It's an on-base guy, what I would call a money ball type guy. 
So we really just tried to put it together with what we needed and, and excited about the guys we added. Yeah, Jay, you added a lot of weapons, a lot of talent, and I know that a lot of that is exciting, but I still have to ask you, like, going into the fall, you know, uh, you said good morning to us, and I asked if it was still morning for you, and you're like, well, I've already done weightlifting, two hitting groups, you know, you're pumping right now, but what excites you most going into this fall at LSU? Like, what are you, is there any one particular thing or, or, or all of the things that excite you the most? Yeah, I'm excited about our group, but I think now getting into the second year, in, in my past, I've usually had a, a big, I've seen a big improvement in players in their second year with us, whether it was their freshman year to their sophomore year or our first year as a staff to the second year. And you, you, what I've found is you're not trying to like feel each other out and set a foundation and all that. We can kind of just get to work on things. And with the new players, this is all they're ever going to know is, is kind of how we roll in, in this process. So um, it's off to a good start. You know, I'm not one for really wasting days. If the NCAA allows us to work, then we should work and, and develop players because you know better than anybody. That's the only way you can have a professional career and sustain it is by having some talent and then put, put the time in to develop that talent. This wasn't, um, and we've had these where we have podcasts, Danny, where, you know, you cry, you're moved, it's biblical, um, you know, this wasn't that, but I don't want it to fall short of anything else, because I think what it is, is it's players evolving, you know, the the contributions from David Ronsley and, and Hunter Pence and Jay Johnson aside to focus on Quinn Matthews and Jacob Wilson. Um, I think sometimes it's, it's why I, I, I cry and hope that baseball evolves more like softball in its recruiting. So that the the guy who's not known as the guy at 13 or 14 can still be the guy at 17, 18, or in the case of these two gentlemen, 20 and 21. Because we talked to two guys that, you know, coming out of high school weren't going to be first-round picks. Guess what? These two guys may be first-round picks. And it's a story of evolution. It really, really is. Both these players outstanding. Different backgrounds, right? But I love how both of these players have evolved, and they're banging on the door for the 23 draft. I think about the rule changes that have taken place at the major league level this year, the past couple of years, what's coming in 2023 and how polarizing it is. And also the DH coming to the national league and how people struggle with change. Or when you see the younger players flipping their bats or playing the game a little bit louder or in different ways. And sometimes it strikes people that you're not playing the game the right way, but I'm here to tell you that the game is forever changed and it's, it's a good thing. I think that the, the guys who are coming through now aren't just baseball players. They're not just uh, dirt bags. They're people, they're humans. And, and we're getting a taste of that more than ever. And they want us to know that they're a person too, and they have feelings and they fail and they know it and they're okay with it. We really have never seen that before. We've never seen guys admit, yeah, I fail. Yeah. I understand it's part of the game. Like you don't see that at this age level. And, and now we get a chance to, so for both of these guys to kind of walk through their journey a little bit and walk in their shoes and see where they've come from, but understand both of them have enjoyed the twists and turns and that they're okay with it. And they're great where they're at. That's different. That's refreshing. That's cool. Like that makes the sport really special. And that's why I love this level because you still get that. And, and there's still these people. Um, and I, yeah, I, I thought it was great. I was super glad to get these guys on. 
I feel rejuvenated for the next season of college baseball while we're still in the middle of the playoff hunt for major league baseball. I mean, college baseball's here it's back fall ball's coming. And I'm very, very excited that we got to start with these two young men and Jay Johnson, as you said, and David Ronsley talking about 2023, because I I'm pretty fond of this class. So I'm going to leave it with this, and, and this is how we'll put a bow on it. Baseball still won. The advancement of the modern players is, is, is true and it's accurate. They're more in touch with themselves. They're open and more transparent, but baseball still won. I love that other sports are being played more often. I love that we celebrate a player that plays basketball, football, and baseball, but baseball still won, and here's why. Because Quinn Matthews could have absolutely played soccer at Cal State Fullerton, but he didn't. And Jack Wilson could have absolutely, heck, he was playing in friendlies, international friendlies, soccer, Thousand Oaks High School when he was playing, but he didn't. And since baseball won, Quinn Matthews is going into pro ball and he's got himself an education at Stanford. And since Jack Wilson chose baseball over soccer, Jacob Wilson chose baseball over everything. Baseball, folks, you can say whatever you want about it, but in this case, it's still won. And I love me some soccer. So great show, great guest. Jacob Wilson, Quinn Matthews. And you uh, called me young. You called me young. Don't forget. I did. I did. And I did call you that. And using batting average. No, the same thing. I mean, wins, losses, and saves. 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 A save in college is is really a big number when you're really sitting down (laughs) to figure out who you're drafting. (laughs) And wins. And wins. Hey, hey, it says a lot. Okay. It says a lot. That's how I measure these guys. I'm into it. Yeah. Take me let me back. tell you something. Let me tell you something. If I pitched for Jay Johnson's team this year, I could have a a ten and zero record and an eight ERA with the kind of uh, offense he's going to roll out. So it does say <laughs> something. It says, it says that I survive. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll have a new one for you as often as we can. We have great guests and uh, Danny Darren Amateur Hour back for another school year. Make sure you pack your books and uh, get an apple each day because it keeps the professor away. 